This is Channel 253. In this episode of Interchangeable White Ladies. But there's definitely got to be some kind of, um, I really love the term beloved community. Mm. Um, there has to be a beloved community that has respect. We, uh, we often say you got to be in right relationship with your white folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and white folks, you got to be in right relationship with your people of color. Because mm-hmm. y- you have some history here. There has been some harm here. There have been hurt feelings here. Um, how, how is it that you were going to reconcile some of these things? And sometimes the work is just going in and trying to reconcile the harm first. Yeah. Like we're, not actually, we're not actually going to change anything else here, folks. Interchangeable White Ladies podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. We, we fly, fly Alaska. Alaska. Book your next flight on alaskaair.com. One, two, two. interchangeable. White Ladies. Welcome to the Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast. I'm Ho. I'm Annie. Today's essential question is how can we better understand the double taxation facing black educators and students in U.S. schools? And our guest today is Kelly Wickham-Hurst. She is the founder and CEO of Being Black at School, a new initiative to empower parents and educators to make schools a safe place for black children. She's a writer and educator who spent 23 years in the school system as a teacher, guidance dean, and assistant principal. Kelly is best known as the author of the award-winning blog Mocha Mama, where she chronicles her life as a former teen parent, a birth mom, and a single mother who took her then three-year-old daughter to college with her. Welcome. Well, thank you. That makes me sound really um, interesting, that bio. Yeah. Thanks for that. <laughs> it totally does. Well, you are. Because you, you are. <laughs> <laughs> we actually would like to start by asking you a little bit more about your backstory and how that led you to creating your blog. Sure. Uh, we know blogging was just this thing and, and people were doing it and lots of Lots of moms were blogging, and um, I was a mom, of course. I had been one for a long time, but they were talking about things like, how do you co-sleep with your baby? And um, they were asking nursing questions, and I was like, how do you not kill a teenager? Um, They're (laughs) awful, and I want to just just put her in the backyard in a fence. Yeah. Um, So so I didn't always find myself... um, um, you know, being concerned about the same things that they were concerned about, Mm -hmm. but it still was a community and there were still some questions that were very similar. Um, and, and a lot of it just had to do with what happens to children. How do their brains develop? Um, Mm -hmm. how, how does this whole thing operate? Why do they, why do they do the dumb things that they do? Um, but developmentally speaking, that was actually really helpful for me too. Mm -hmm. Excellent. So you have a personal experience uh, with being a mother in college, and that seems like that would be uh, at the time that you were in college that there may have been some resources lacking for you when you were trying to parent. Um, what kind of what kind of barriers did you face when you were enrolled in college with your with your three year old? First and foremost, I had to find childcare, um, yeah. mm-hmm. and that was really hard. And and not only that, but when I went to college, I was made to feel as if I was the only single mother mm-hmm. as if what I was doing was radical and I wasn't going to have any kind of community around that. And uh, I just want, I, I just wanted to just go back to my high school and just wrap everybody over the head and say, you were wrong. There's a <laughs> yeah. whole community out there. Yeah. Um, 
so finding that community um, meant that what we what I did was I went first of all I'm not alone, and secondly, what are the yeah. ways that these other single moms and I can actually find um, some community together? Mm-hmm. So we would do things like um, suggest that you know you take Monday, Wednesday, Friday classes, I'll take Tuesday, Thursday, and we'll watch each other's kids. Mm-hmm. And then we didn't have to come up with childcare, or many of us were on. Um, uh, social support services. And so, you know, I would get X amount of dollars in, in food stamps and we would pool all of our food and then say, you know what, we've got to feed our kids really well. And vegetables mm. and fruit cost a lot of money. And so how about we just do some potlucks all the time? And so we had a lot of community meals mm. with one another. Some of them were also education majors and would, you know, say, hey, this is what I just learned in my class. <laughs> Can I take your kids and um, can I work on this and and practice this thing in in like real time? Yeah. It ended up being the most fabulous, incredible, supportive community Mm. I could have asked for. And I didn't know that I needed to even find one. Um, It was just like, it was like waking up Mm. and, and feeling like I was worth something. And, and which was a very different message that I was getting. Absolutely. That's, that's awesome. Um, in your experience, so you also like in your bio, it mentions that you were a teacher for a while and then you also were a guidance dean and then also an assistant principal, which mm-hmm. is like you've kind of done everything in schools. Yeah. Do you uh, first of all, why did you become a teacher um, and why did you start that trajectory? And then how did that shift into those other roles? Um, one of my friends in college needed a ride to do um, some pre-work with a teacher for her student teaching. And mm. I gave it to her and I decided mm. to just sit in the classroom and watch and the hallelujah chorus played in my ears ah. and it was like, oh, this is what you're supposed to be doing. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, I was an English major. I thought I was just going to be an English professor mm. and just go all the way through with that doctorate. And then I realized I really liked middle school and high school kids, mm-hmm. uh, mostly yeah. high school. And um, so I, I did that for about 10 years. Uh, then I became a, a literacy coach actually for a little bit in there. Oh. And now this is the part that it makes me sound super foolish and I'm totally okay with uh, being an example of what not to do. Um, <laughs> I, I, as a classroom teacher, I grew up in Chicago and then was doing my teaching in Springfield, which is a very different kind of place. Mm-hmm. Still in the same state, but very different. And um, I thought, you know what, there's a whole lot of racism here. And um, our demographics are like not really supporting who gets in trouble, who gets, mm-hmm. who gets all this stuff, right? So I thought I could fix it if I just became the principal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so dumb. Sorry, I, so should not, I shouldn't dumb. laugh. But you're, I that's so you to laugh that's common. <laughs> yeah. I hear, I hear versions of that, I mean, from people all the time, right? Become whatever so that you can fight this thing, which, I mean, it's real. It is. It is. It's foolish, though. It's naive. And then and then you go, oh, holy crap. You know what? This is an entire system. I'm not just thinking about mm. this one teacher who's problematic. I'm, right. I'm seeing it in a larger view. And how the heck am I going to fix this? Yeah. This yeah. is a system now. Right. Well, then you become the superintendent, right? Isn't that just how it is? <laughs> yeah, that would, have, that would have been the next logical step. Right. But by that time, I think I got a little bit wiser and was just like, don't be so dumb, Kelly. Don't be so dumb. <laughs> you're, you're not fixing it like that. Yeah. So is that where um, your organization came out of? Is that what kind of inspired you to go to this other level? Yeah, absolutely. That and that they pushed me out. I was mm. absolutely oh, okay. pushed out of the system. Um, our, our school district had been doing the work of anti-racism. They um, hmm. 
they did some contract work with an organization called Crossroads Anti-Racism. And I went to the training and that gave me, again, all the language that I needed. Like, I was like, this is, this is the ideology I've been talking about. And Mm. also we have not been given history objectively. Like, Hmm. we, We really have to think very critically about some things. And so once they did that and I realized that that's where they were heading, um, I got fully on board with it. And then our leaders were like, Ooh, this is too hard. Mm. We want to do this. Uh, so they start backing off of it and saying, you know, what we'll do, we'll just do some diversity and equity stuff. And I'm like, no, <laughs> it's absolutely not, not. It's not enough. That's not, yeah. not only is it not enough. Then I start, I start looking into it and researching exactly what happens in systems in school systems when you do DEI work. And then I realized that they have a hundred percent failure rate. None of them are working. Yeah. Not yeah. one. And, and what they're doing in the meantime is actually putting women of color in the positions mm. to do the work because they're setting them up for failure. And, but, mm, but then right. school districts and large in, you know, institutions can pat themselves on the back and say, look how good we're doing. Look yeah. at how great we are. We have this black mm. woman or this person from the LGBTQ community in this position. Look how good we are. And then that mm-hmm. person ends up being incredibly frustrated because the system is just maintaining status quo and it's not going to change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they check their little box off for themselves and they can pat themselves on the back, mm-hmm. but it's actually yep. all for nothing. Yep. All for nothing. And, and I mean, you know, people have asked me, so where does this... Where does DEI work? I'm like, you tell me. As soon as you find it, let me know. Yeah. Because I have not, I have yet to find the system that says this is what we're doing. And we actually changed um, hmm. the way that, 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 that we're dealing with students. We've changed the culture. It's not a change. It's, um, my husband always calls it, um, it's the escape hatch on a submarine. It's useless. <laughs> you're, you're 400 feet underwater. That escape hatch is not going to save your life. Yeah. But. Yeah. You can say, hey, look, we have an escape hatch. Right. So, you know, we're okay. We're, we'll be okay. We have an escape hatch, and it's useless. Right. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So um, can you tell us a little bit then about how that led into being black at school and that organization and the work you're doing with that? Sure. Um, a lot of it has to do with um, some mental health issues and yeah. that uh, at the very end, I, I mean, I feel like the, that the school district was gaslighting me mm. and saying, this is actually not a problem, Kelly. What you're recognizing is not an issue. This is, you, it's you. You're the one that's the problem. Because you, as you well know that there are lots of um, times when you can actually start talking about issues of racism and then people go, you know what? You're the racist for bringing it up. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I heard that before. Which Wait, shame bell, shame bell. We, we have a, we have we have a bell that Annie rings sometimes in studio. To shame things. Uh, ring it. Okay. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Shame on that kind of nonsense. Yeah. Oh, very good. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so part of what, part of what I told my husband was, um, so I'm going to have to quit and this is going to be really hard because I have worked here for 23 years. Mm, I am yeah. just now getting out of poverty. Um, as I was, uh, with a, as a single mom, I was getting ready to make six figures and I was, I was, um, on the path to being very comfortable. And I said, I either have to quit or you're going to visit me in the psychiatric ward because they're making me absolutely bonkers. Mm-hmm. They are, mm-hmm. they are, I, I am herped, I am harmed and some bad things are happening. And, and I quit um, uh, under duress, really. Uh, the superintendent said, could you please go to this school instead? We think you're going to have a, um, a lot more power over here. And that was, mm. that was a joke. That wasn't what was happening. What she really was doing was putting me in a school that had a large popula- larger population of black students, a larger population yeah. of students who were 
uh, living in poverty. And there was no way they were going to give me more power. What they were doing was putting me with a black principal instead of a white principal that they hoped would actually discipline me and get me in line. And that was not fair to weaponize her against me. um, Right. In any way. And um, I had a couple of people from the community say, Kelly, I'm listening to, I got my ear to the ground and the district is about to set you up. They want to fire you. And this is how they're going to do it. It's in, it's incredible how shady, how shady HR departments and school districts can be and how oh. we have one, we have a school district that will remain nameless, not the one I currently work in, but in uh, Western Washington that whenever they have issues with like discipline of the admin level, they just shuffle. It's like a shell game. They just shuffle people from building to building yep. and like, and they yep, do it, absolutely. they do it just either to keep, get people to shut up or to, they use, try to use it as a form of discipline, but it, it's never effective. Right. Like, um, yeah. and it's just not, it, it's not the way to go. It's passive aggressive. It's frustrating and it's real. Like if people don't think it's real, man, it is real. <laughs> it is it's so not, real. Yeah. You just named all the important things that I have repeated um, since I, since leaving. And mm. the largest lesson for me was HR is actually not there to protect you. It's there to protect the institution. Absolutely. Yeah. So true. Yeah. It, 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 it does not care about you. So we nope. think that we think that going to HR is going to help us and it actually ends up hurting us. Yeah. Huh. Uh, yep. And then the institution gets to remain intact, right? That yeah. quo gets to still reign supreme. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, Do, ugh, messy. Absolutely. Do you think, um, your experience also was impacted by you being a woman and then being a black woman. Do you think it would have been different if you were neither of those? Absolutely. I have um, yeah. often said that I reached my glass ceiling as a woman and hmm. I also reached my glass ceiling as a black woman. Hmm. Um, and that those are two different levels. And so I was never yeah. going to be a principal. Um, I never did get to be a principal. Uh, in fact, there was some time in there where uh, the school district did want me to take over a building. And this was before I got to be super loud mouthy with them. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I actually had another, another um, woman of color who sabotaged that and um, said, you don't want her to do that. She, mm-hmm. And this is a woman of color who does maintain status quo, right? Like we, just because you happen to be a person of color or someone who is marginalized does not mean that when you get in a position of power, you are able hmm. to uh, um, affect change. A lot of times you get in those positions mm-hmm. and then you maintain it because you got to keep your job because right, you right. are making six figures and you are doing really well. And you just keep your head down in that way um, mm-hmm. that is actually harming the other people of color, the children of color, the parents of right. color, all of that. Yeah. 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 Thanks for um, speaking that out and identifying that. Um, in your experience in those three positions, what kinds of things were you seeing um, happening for students? So you're talking about the big picture systems levels and trying to change um, some of the racism that was happening systemically. Or, or what kinds of things were you seeing in the classroom? Were Did you feel more effective there um, or less so? Uh, yes and no. Um, I think that I felt effective because what I was doing was actually starting to listen to students in ways that um, allowed them their humanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you sent a student of color to my office um, because they were doing something, whatever it was, what I found was that nine times out of ten, they they would come in and say, oh, yeah, I did that. <laughs> yeah, that thing that the teacher said, I did that. I did that. Yeah. Um, but I also found that they were, um, if I dug down deep enough, they would say, I wasn't the only one. There's actually three white kids in class right now doing the same thing with the same behaviors, and they're still there. Right. 
Yeah, and right. so then I would then I would drill down deeper and say, okay, so then what else is going on with you? Why are you having this behavior? Well, I might find out that this kid didn't eat dinner last night, or mm, yeah. uh, parent, you know, some parent works works third shift, so they were in charge of watching their siblings. And yeah. um, so I would do things like try to get them some social service help, uh, or they would say, we don't have internet, or our lights got cut off. And so here I am reaching out to community people to say, hey, I need somebody to help me get their lights back on. Um, mm. it's cold outside and mm. I was doing that. And then what would happen is the teachers would then follow up with me and say, what did you do to that kid? What <laughs> was the punishment is what they were really wanting to know. Actually, they didn't need punishment. They needed some care. And then yeah. the teachers were pissed at me. Yeah. They were pissed. <laughs> yeah. Cause they want to punish. I, I wanted you to punish them. I wanted them to have detention. I mm. wanted, and I'm like, um, that's not how it, so I think that the largest thing I've realized, um, is in the different ways that we teach white students who get every kind of, um, macro affirmation possible. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. and then that students of color were consistently getting punished. Um, at, at, and this is where, you know, the numbers look the same across the country, uh, across the world, most likely. Right. right. That yep. those, yep. um, those things don't change unless we actually get into what is going on with students. But, mm-hmm. but I, I have found that traditionally in traditional schools that uh, white teachers who have no sort of analysis and have no understanding of race, um, they really see it as um, you're just being too nice to the black kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they don't see that either. They don't see that as a, we're also being very nice to the white kids and we're giving them a right. whole lot of, uh, a whole lot of leeway here. Yeah. They just right. want the children of color to be punished. And if you mm-hmm. don't punish them, then they will find ways to allow the system to punish you. Right. Then I get mm-hmm. told on, then I get, then I get told things like Kelly doesn't support teachers. Oh, gosh. <laughs> right. Well, I'm, I'm here to do that. And, uh, yeah. I'm supposed to be supporting students. And yeah. so why aren't you? on board with supporting the students here. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I think one of the, mm-hmm. some of the most frustrating interactions I've had in education are with other adults. <laughs> I don't ever, I don't think, I've had frustrating students in class by, obviously, because, you know, you don't always, sometimes you have students in class, it's like fire and gasoline. They don't, you know, personalities, you just don't get along, but you still care about and love those kids. Um, but some adults, man, yeah. tell you what, they <laughs> <laughs> they make the job really hard. Like they make the job really hard. So yeah, I can't. I can't think of one kid that I disliked or was angry with that who I didn't recognize was bringing trauma, yeah, uh, or right. was dealing with some really heavy things. But adults right. who also bring trauma, um, but mm. really should have some sort of like you know knowledge of knowing better. It's always it was always the adults, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this person yeah. is really difficult to work with. They don't even they don't even see the trauma that they currently have and how they're actually. They're, they're inflicting secondary trauma on their students yeah. with, with what right. they haven't dealt with. Deal with your stuff right? and yeah. um, don't bring it into the classroom. And we have too many adults who, br- who are bringing that into the classroom. I want to have compassion for them, but right. I am equally as frustrated with them. Yeah. Um, and, I, and, and that's not because of their issues of trauma. That's because of their issues of trauma it, plus the lack of an analysis of racism in the United States. Right, yeah. right, right. Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. And then just the perpetuation of it from that place. I think also with adults, I feel less gracious sometimes because I feel like you should know better. Like with a kid, you're still developing, right? It takes time as an adult. And especially, I think, I mean, we're from Washington State, so it's quote unquote progressive. um, And we joke a lot about just 
a lot of white people who feel like they're super um, woke and, you know, progressive <laughs> and all this stuff, but they can't, uh-huh. you know, they have no sense of their own critical <laughs> like consciousness that they're not, like, they're just missing out on all the layers and they don't even know how to stop and think about it. Oh, yeah. They're, they're missing a lot. And, and that, that was a huge part of why I then, once I quit, I really didn't know what I was going to do. And that's when I mm. uh, worked with a, um, a coach who said, like, let's just drill down to all the things that you're good at, that you know, that you want to, what do you want to share with people? And really my first response to her was, I want to tell on everybody. I want to tell <laughs> the whole entire world yeah. how school systems operate, how they're harmful to children. I want to tell. And I also want to tell parents of black children. I want to tell them how to function in the system yeah, because okay. the system is going to, is going to stay the way it is unless we of course tear it down. Right. But the system, yeah. um, there are ways that, uh, white families know how to, um, operate and function in the system to get what they want. And there's ways that parents of black students who are also traumatized when they come into our building who go, Oh, I didn't know I could just say that you had to put my kid in this algebra class, even though they missed the <laughs> The, yeah. the testing by one point. I didn't know you could do that. Well, white parents knew that. And white parents yep. would come in and yeah. be like, I know the law. You got to do what mm-hmm. I tell you to do. And so I'm like, well, how about we tell the parents of black children and let's mm. next children. And, right. you know, how about we, how about we actually, how about I tell on everybody? <laughs> mm. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. That, that was my motivation. My motivation yeah. was to tattle yeah. on the system. Yeah. yeah. Um, Great. Yeah. It's interesting to me that you uh, mentioned that how to function within the system because the system's not going to change. And we've had guests on the show who um, offer like the opposite of that, which is, you know, we got to change the system or break the system or fight it. So, um, but you're saying like it really has to either be blown up completely or we need to learn how to operate within it. Yes. Okay. Those are our options. And if we can't um, dismantle it, um, I, I have a friend who always says, we've got to dismantle the system because somebody mantled it. Um, but if we, if we can't dismantle it, then how do we function and how do we look at the values of that system and then change values that change culture and then use that culture to actually help children and, and and their families. So being black at school focuses on research, policy development and advocacy. That's kind of the three pillars. Is that correct? Yep. So how did you come to those three pillars? Um, what does that work look like on those in the, like, what are you currently doing in those different um, veins right now? So uh, I will say that um, a man named Colin McGinnis, who I met online, and um, he actually worked with me for a little while before he um, started doing something else. Uh, Colin is the one that said, you know, you got to focus on policy. you got to focus on what is happening at the state level. Mm-hmm. Um, the federal level, of course, is important. The state level is more important, but the local level is the most important. Mm, so yep. locally, what are the policies that are put in place? And how can you say, hey, this policy is actually harmful to students? Yeah. Um, why do we have this? And so using some sort of framework that says, um, all right, here's the policy that we're thinking about doing. Who's it going to harm and who's it going to help? Mm-hmm. And if you can answer either of those questions, then you shouldn't do the policy <laughs> because what you've identified right. is that you're about to ad, um, advantage white children in ways that are going to harm children of color or harm students who have special education needs or harm students from poverty or, you know, and, and all those things are, are, they're just multiple ways of, of doing that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So Policy was really, really important. Um, advocacy and then helping people get a voice. 
Um, some of that is just strategic and it's a way to organize, which a lot of communities of color already know how to do. Um, but I wasn't seeing them do that in school systems. They were just, uh, so many of them were either uh, simply angry, righteously angry at the school yeah. system and then stayed frustrated or um, didn't quite know how to organize. So some of that organization means finding those white accomplices who are really powerful mm-hmm. in the system mm-hmm. to say, hey, you set the meeting up with the superintendent. They won't talk to me. Yeah, You set right. the meeting up, you bring us in, and then as an accomplice, what you do is you sit back and you, now you be quiet and you, right. you, you let us. So this is like, how do you follow the leadership of people of color and how do you mm. allow them that voice? Like passing the microphone is one thing, but being mm. really organized around, Hey, no, this is very strategic. Uh, I'm going to call this meeting cause I have the power to do so. And you listen to me. And if you don't listen to these parents that I'm talking, that I'm bringing in here, I'm going to actually disorganize the other stuff you've got going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I create, I create troublemakers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> is there a policy that um, you you have worked on that you feel especially like proud of, or the work going forward, or you feel like was especially challenging? Um, I wouldn't say it's a policy that I worked on. It's a policy that was happening at the same time I was creating Being Black at School. And in Illinois, we had a Senate Bill 100, and that Senate bill was actually to um, uh, look at restorative justice practices within school mm-hmm. systems. And I think that what we do wrong there is that we look at the practices without the underlying issue. So we're just scratching the surface of the iceberg, but we're not paying attention to the biases and the racism mm-hmm. um, and the sexism and all those things underneath it. Um, but what I'm really proud of is that the school systems had to respond to it and then that many school systems in Illinois were going, oh, shoot. What does that mean? What do yeah. we do? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I can help you out here. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I can yeah. help you make some of these changes. I can help you think about how to do this. Or I can help you think about, like, trauma and, 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 and racial trauma. Because when we talk about trauma, we really only, we just, we, we do generic trauma. Uh, racial right. trauma is almost <laughs> always left out. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, a lot of conversations you, about trauma have to do with, like, ACEs, right? The trauma that's, like, neglect or... Um, you know, I mean, a lot of it, a lot of it focuses on neglect, but neglect and abuse. But it's not, it's not, it doesn't have a racial lens. That, that's it exactly. Mm-hmm. One of the things um, your website talks a little about is how you also are working on specific ways that white educators can create spaces for Black students. Um, are can you speak a little bit to that? What does that look like in terms of policy or practical work that you're doing? Um, you know, the practical work usually comes from, it doesn't even have to be something that I'm sharing with them, but it's something that the, if there are black educators in the building, it's really about letting them be the experts that, that have long been ignored in the system. Because um, I have found myself oftentimes going into buildings and then hearing from black educators who are frustrated and they're like, you know what? I was telling them the same thing. They weren't listening to mm-hmm. me, Kelly. Mm-hmm. And so then yeah. what I would do is I would go into the system and say, I need to speak to your black teachers. I need, I, I need access to them. And then they, mm-hmm. I would say, what do you want me to say that hasn't been right. heard? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it really, it's, it's less about me going in and saying, I have all the answers. And instead saying, the answers are here. You have been ignoring them. How can you listen yeah. to them? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of expertise here. How do we make this possible? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so one of the things we've talked about in previous show um, episodes is just the tension between um, having educators of color and people of color leading this kind of work. But then, as you mentioned, there's also this extra burden and like 
too much emotional labor that is often dumped on teachers of color and educators of color. So, I mean, how do we... We're always trying to talk about the hard parts of things in the, on this show. Like, how do we wrestle with those two things? How do we make sure that it's not over one or the other? Ooh, that's a good question. And I think that we're, <laughs> we're all going to keep wrestling with that because none yeah. of us know how to do that. Because none of us know how to, I'm going to use that phrase again, follow the leadership of people of color, including people mm. of color, right? Like, mm. I was socialized to follow white men. That was who was yeah. leader of my schools and my churches and my communities and government. Mm-hmm. And uh, in many ways, I, that's, that's all I was told could do this work. Mm-hmm. And um, so it has to do with uh, sort of pulling that back and saying, who, who do we need to listen to? How have we not been listening to, to them? And what values do we say are values of ours that we're actually, we ha- actually haven't been practicing? Mm, yeah. Um, and... That is, the, that is the hard work. I think that you've identified the hardest thing and that it is something that universally we all struggle with. There's not one right answer to it, but there's definitely got to be some kind of, um, I really love the term beloved community. Mm-hmm. Um, there has to be a beloved community that has respect. We, uh, we often say you got to be in right relationship with your white folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and white folks, you got to be in right relationship with your people of color because mm-hmm. y- you have some history here. There has been some harm here. There have been hurt feelings here. Um, how How is it that we're going to reconcile some of these things? And sometimes the work is just going in and trying to reconcile the harm first. Yeah. Like we're, not actually, we're not actually going to change anything else here, folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to start. We're going to start small and look at how how you've harmed people and how you actually have, how about you do some restorative practice with one another before you tell the hey. children they have to do it. How about, yeah, let's talk, hey. let's talk about some like group counseling for school staff. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm all for group counseling. I'm yeah. all for counseling and therapy. Yeah. No kidding. Oh my gosh. That's actually a great, let's take a great time to take a break. Is that what you're going to say, Hope? <laughs> yep. You got it. Perfect. Hey, Hope, did you have a good weekend? Yeah, it was great. Nate and I were out of town Friday and Saturday night and then nice. on Sunday we flew back home. Wait. How is that possible? Like we were messaging you and you and I were messaging each other back and forth all day. You were on a flight? <laughs> Girl, you know about free messaging on Alaska flights, don't you? No, I did not know about that. Maybe a certain podcast co-host could have told me. I'm telling you now, it's amazing you can chat for free with Facebook Messenger, iMessage and WhatsApp from the flight. So like ins- in the air. Wow. So instead of grading papers on the flight, I could be chatting with my IWL BFF for free? Yes, it's truly magical. This changes everything it really does we can do all kinds of podcasting notes we can do have Seriously. a little chat about our next pinterest episode yeah. so to book your next trip and send messages from the sky visit alaskaair.com we, we fly, fly alaska, alaska. listen yeah. you need to become a member of channel 253 it is imperative it's cheap i just need for you to do it so it's going to be four dollars a month or forty dollars a year to be a member, that's less than a cup of coffee because I know you get the fancy coffee. So you need to, you really need to become a member. It supports all the programming you love on Channel 253. It's very affordable. Please, just do it for me. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join today. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. So we're back with Kelly, and I want to ask another um, kind of a quick question about um, – so I'll just ask it. Um, how do you think educators 
whether of color or white educators, can shift more of their practices to kind of help mitigate that double taxation or that trauma um, that both black educators and students are experiencing in schools? You kind of hinted at it a little bit before the break um, in terms of like following the leadership of educators of color and people of color. Are there other practical things um, that white folks can think about doing or just kind of create spaces? Well, one thing is um, taking responsibility for our learning, which I think Mm. is something that teachers know how to do when it comes to um, teaching techniques and scaffolding practices, but that we don't necessarily do in relationship uh, with our fellow educators of color. So uh, to not provide that tax, you know, there are certain things that I think white educators who are anti-racist do where um, they sort of collect one another. Like, it's their job to be like, listen, stop asking those, those, those people of color to, to, to give you a book to read. Mm-hmm, uh, yeah. how, about, how about we do our own work? Um, and how about that work actually be um, something that's not going to be a burden to them, but it's a way that mm-hmm. you can take responsibility. Like, we've all read plenty of um, books on how to teach and how to teach right. well. So why are we not doing it when it comes to looking at um, the demographics of our students and perhaps mm-hmm. how they learn differently? I think the other thing is really to have a really strong focus on not looking at it de- at, at deficit thinking mm-hmm. um, and to really challenge one another on uh, the ways that we talk about children and we talk about families and we talk about communities that they come with a very rich um, and important ways of being and learning that we need to actually honor as well. Mm-hmm. We need to say mm-hmm. this is, it is as important. Um, students that learn orally um, as opposed to the written language and using that as a, as a strength instead of as a deficit. So I think a lot of mm-hmm. it is shifting the way we're thinking about students and what they can do. Too many schools that I go and say, you know, kids can't think critically. I'm like, uh, what kids are you talking about? Because every <laughs> yeah. single one of them can. Yeah. So that says more about you than it does about the students that you're talking about. It tells me that you don't think that they, and that you don't know how to elicit critical right. thinking from those students. So how right. about you do some more work on that um, and, and, and not the kids? Yeah. 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 That's perfect. Actually, that's a perfect segue um, to our champagne and real pain segment. Champagne for my real friends, real pain for my champ friends. Uh, so we're raising figurative glasses. Usually we don't usually have champagne with us, sadly, um, to people that are doing the work. Uh, so if you think about some folks that, you know, that are doing the work that is related to what we've been talking about or some shout outs, um, raising glasses of champagne, who would you want to recognize or, um, raise a glass to? Oh man. Do you know how hard this is and how many people I'm going to put their feelings because... I haven't been thinking about it. I'll tell you what, who I'm thinking of right now is a, a woman I know from Twitter, Monique Seward, um, who oh, is always, yeah. uh, do you know Monique? She's always championing yes. um, our, our students um, who are different learners and the ways in which mm-hmm. we think about that mm-hmm. and how so many schools do IEPs incorrectly and harmfully. Um, Monique is consistently doing that work um, and taking on a lot of labor. And I want her to be the secretary of education because she knows how this whole <laughs> oh, thing works. Yes. Um, <gasps> so she is, she's definitely one person I think of. Um, I think another one is, um, do you know Shay? Shay Martin. Shay Martin. We just interviewed yeah. Shay. We just yeah. interviewed Shay. Yeah, and your episode amazing. will come out probably right after that episode. Oh, so I want to say that Sherry, um, they are the most incredible, the, the way they think and the, and the, the, the thoughts 
and just even just like the tweet sometimes I'm like damn that's a whole ass dissertation <laughs> right uh, yes did they just did yeah. they just write that <laughs> um, yep. I really like raise a glass because Shay is uh, doing the work um, and I know that she's doing it from a place of having been um, harmed like many of us are mm-hmm. and she's staying in it. So I, I, uh, they are staying in it. I'm trying to use their pronouns. I apologize for messing that up. Um, uh, the way that Shay does her work is authentic and mm-hmm. reminds me very much of where I was a couple of years ago. And so I still want to reach out to them and, and just be a support, but definitely raise a glass to Shay Martin. Awesome. Excellent. I would like to raise a glass. Um, I feel like it's appropriate. We've had a lot of amazing um, black women and women of color on the show the last few episodes. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to raise a glass to all the women who've taken the time out of their life um, to share with us their stories and to help us to be, as we say on the show, be less basic, but also just like really challenging. Um, every time I leave these conversations, I'm going back to my classroom and I'm thinking about what I'm doing differently and, and tr- hoping to mm-hmm. push and make things better for my students. So I just want to raise a glass to all um, the amazing women of color um, that are, have come on the show and really helped us any any champagne for you i just i love that champagne i i I totally agree um i you know think about the emotional labor that is expected of black women in particular and women of color generally and just the fact that um we've been really honored to be to learn from some incredibly smart folks so yeah that's mine as well all right the other part is real pain which is basically like shade or the shame bell <laughs> so is there anyone you mentioned at the beginning of the show that you really love to tell the truth and call people out uh tell on everyone as you said so is there anyone that you want to tell on or yeah give some quote-unquote real pain to uh as always uh our <laughs> secretary of education and ah, i'm just mm-hmm. even saying that with a pit in my stomach but that <laughs> doesn't know a thing she doesn't have the degrees i have and she still has no. that position and she is harming actively harming children yes. and yep. she, she deserves all the pain mm-hmm. mm. I second that ring that bell oh, Annie yeah. ring that bell I got it hold on for shame <laughs> any other pain Annie um, that's a great one. I just like, like, I think anyone who's in position of power, who's, who doesn't deserve to be there because they have caused harm, like, and not deserve to be there. Like, oh, you didn't like earn your position. Although, um, our current secretary of education, um, did not, um, and has that position because of family wealth and, um, favors. Um, but the fact that like, like folks in positions of power, um, not using their power to to help and and just causing harm. Like, stop doing that. Like, why are you? Why? Like, what's even the point? All right, our final segment, Annie. Do your fudging homework. Interchangeable. White ladies. All right, so in this segment, we have some homework for our listeners as per usual. And I'm going to be a hypocrite and recommend something that is still on my to-read list. Um, and that is the book Push Out by Monique Harris, or Morris, sorry. And it's about the criminalization of black girls in schooling. And so I just want to recommend that to people. And also, like, I'm working on reading that book as well. Yeah. Um, Homework, Annie? Yeah, actually, just go check out beingblackatschool.org and the What You Can Do section. There's um, That's a good place to start to kind of see the kind of work Kelly's doing. And I'll, please follow Kelly on Twitter because I actually first um, heard about Kelly's work via Twitter. Um, people on Twitter malign Twitter a lot because it can be a really negative, toxic place. But, like, some of the coolest, smartest, most interesting 
education professionals and folks doing the work and consulting and um, just making education better and pushing it forward are on Twitter. So you need to get on there. You need to you need to find Kelly. You need to f- look at who Kelly follows and you need to add some folks because um, there's good work happening online and it's happening in, you know, it's happening in 200 characters or 240, you know, and um, <laughs> but it's it's the work, right? Like people are doing it in real time. And um, you, yeah, it's, it's an incredible resource to find to find great, great work. I love that. Can I give homework? Of course. Yes, please. Yeah, we want you to give homework. And you can give a lot. You can feel free to give as much as you want to all of our listeners. <laughs> also, can you mention how people can follow you on Twitter or social media in general? Oh, yeah. Um, at Mocha Mama. Um, just about everywhere. Twitter is probably my most active place. I don't. I have to know you to have you on Instagram. Because I have these grandbabies that I put pictures yeah. up of. Yeah, protect them. That's not for everybody. Yeah. Um, mm. Uh, although you all, absolutely. Uh, follow me. I'll call you back. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, but the one book I wanted to share and shout out was uh, Bettina Loves, We Want to Do More Than Survive. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. I think everybody needs to do that homework. She's on my list uh, to finish because I'm only halfway through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's about abolitionist teaching and the pursuit of educational freedom. And mm-hmm. um, it's the real deal. And I, I think that part of how, why I um, sort of stopped reading it was because I'm like, oh, this is heavy. I've got to take yeah. my time with this. Yeah. Um, and then the other one is a book that Clear the Air did not long ago called The Color yeah. of Law by Richard Rothstein. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That is powerful, informs my work, and uh, I just can't say enough about that. And then finally, my dude, uh, Cornelius Minor, we got this mm-hmm. about equity and mm-hmm. access. Um mm-hmm. Very, very accessible book, and um, I think anybody who's already doing the work can read it, but I think that people who just are getting started can read it as well. Very practical advice for educators. Excellent. Awesome. We really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your story and talking to us and helping us be better, especially in the middle of your travels. Thank you so, so very much. much. Not a problem. I was glad to be here. Thank you. All right. Have a wonderful day and a safe journey. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Mm-hmm. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. Hope, do you ever just feel really crappy about your body? Uh, yes. That happens to everyone sometimes, doesn't it? I mean, I think so. Especially like with coronavirus, it's totally derailed everybody's physical and mental health. I just feel like I'm just burdened with this flesh suit that could betray me at any time and never lives up to unattainable standards of humanoid beauty. Does that ever just make you like really angry? Oh my gosh, it makes me so angry. I especially get angry because people just love to post these depressing body shaming ads and like inspirational quotes that are not inspirational quotes on Instagram. Those just infuriate me so much. I also, I really am upset about like how people are capitalizing on this. Like, oh, you're gross. Like Mm -hmm. here's how to be better during quarantine. I'm like, I don't know. There's gotta be a better way. Uh, There is a better way. And I think that better way is starting a book club. We should read about this topic. In fact, I have the perfect book for us. The Body is Not an Apology by Sonia Renee Taylor. It's so good. And I think it's something we need right now. I love that. Here's um, some info I found online. Uh, It might pique the interest of our readers or our listeners, excuse me. In a revolutionary departure from the corporate self-help and body positivity movement, Taylor forges the inextricable bond between radical self-love and social justice. I just get chills hearing you read that. So I think the first step is that we need to recognize that we're all indoctrinated into this crazy system of body shaming that profits off of our self-hatred. And then we need to ask ourselves, who's going to benefit from our collective shame? You know, we can begin to make this distinction between the messages we're receiving about our bodies and other bodies and actually what is true. 
Sign me up. When do we start? Uh, let's start right now. First of all, you got to go get a copy of your book. I highly recommend going to your favorite bookseller. If you're in Tacoma, go to King's Books. On it. Then you just got to read it, of course, and probably take some notes. Okay, read it take notes. Got it. Okay, and then because I love to give out so much homework, I'm going to add one more step. You're going to follow Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast on social media. Join the virtual conversation with the hashtag Read Less Basic. Until then. Bye. Bye. Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. We, we fly, fly Alaska. Alaska. Book your next flight on alaskaair.com. Bye. I like that. Yeah, except better. <laughs> Interchangeable White Ladies is part of the Channel 253 network. Check out our other shows. Nerd Farmer, We Art Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B-Team, Crossing Division, Citizen Tacoma, What Say You, and Gimme the Mic. This is Channel 253.